So we are to Amos chapter 7 tonight, Amos chapter 7, otherwise known as the plumb line chapter. And we're going to talk a little bit about the plumb line that Amos sees in a vision, but um, maybe go not quite that direction the whole time. Amos chapter 7 is on page 1428 in your pew Bibles. We're going to read the whole thing. It's about 17 verses it looks like. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. Amos 7, beginning at verse 1. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the second crop was coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep, which is the waters, and devoured the land. Then I cried out, sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. We shift gears a little bit. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of his kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured up and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, The question I'm going to start with is, have you ever met a truly remarkable spiritual person? Someone who's just really, really wise in the faith. Someone whose life is just perfectly consistent to what he professes to believe. A remarkable person that just kind of left you amazed. I'm, I'm sure that you have. And if we were able to meet Amos face to face, I suspect 
that he would qualify as one of those remarkable people. I mean, for one thing, his message is uh, extremely challenging, uncomfortably so. But his message is also very inspiring to those who truly seek to please God and to have fellowship with him. And so tonight, I actually did this last time that I preached through Amos as well, and I actually liked a lot of what I wrote five years ago when I preached through this last time. Um, I want to shift our attention a little bit away from the national situation in Israel and focus focus on the prophet and and focus um, about what he seems to be passionate about. Focus on what's in his heart as he speaks these words to a very, um, I guess, rebellious people. Because I think that if we look closely at Amos and at his character and at his message, we also, uh, by default kind of learn about um, God himself and, and God's nature and his character. And um, I think that that'll be helpful for us. I think that, at least for me, made a, made a connection that uh, um, I hadn't been able to make um, personally with, with this prophecy in Amos. So um, I know that Amos is when all the chips are down, kind of, a, kind of a minor character in Scripture. He's never again actually mentioned by name in the Bible. And yet, um, obviously a very important character in bringing these prophecies to Israel uh, during a time of flourishing, during a time of success, but, but looking forward to a future that was actually very bleak. And so the goal tonight is to kind of uh, look for some of these lessons in the person and character of Amos and um, kind of apply them to ourselves. And I think that this is valuable, not because it's some sort of a, a lesson in morality, like, oh, be like this guy. It, because It's because the, the same God who spoke to and through Amos in 800 BC, Israel, is... A God who, as we talked about this morning, a God who continues to speak by his word and spirit into our lives and our situations. And so uh, just as a general comment, the book of Amos uh, as a whole presents us with a struggle and a challenge. And we've already seen throughout the first six chapters and, and into the seventh that this prophet is uh, not really all that tactful at all. This prophet is blunt and he is harsh, he's honest. And he's, if you think about it and try and translate it into our own context, he's the type of person that probably makes people uncomfortable. Even people that love him, even his friends, even his family, he's the type of guy that has no filter. And people that don't have filters make us a little bit uncomfortable because they're somewhat unpredictable. But also, in the case of Amos, his message too scares us. It scares us and it humbles us before a righteous and holy God. But that said, we cannot, we simply cannot ignore Amos because we accept his oracles as the word of God, not to them all those years ago, but it is also God's word to us. So the first thing that I want 
to say, the first point I want to make is that Amos was a man of God. I want to give him some credibility here. He says in verse 15, but the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Amos lived and prophesied during a time of wealth and prosperity and even kind of robust religious activity in Israel. And we talked about how all of those things are really good things on the surface, but that they were made possible in large part through gross societal injustice, the rich um, getting richer off the back and the sweat of the poor. And so then the the security and the success of Israel was um, an illusion that was about to be shattered, and, and Amos was happy to wield the hammer. God gave Amos the ability to see through this illusion of success and abundance and called him out of a different profession in order to go and to preach that truth. And so during this time of spiritual darkness and and spiritual self-deception, Amos stood in the counsel of God. Amos was not out for himself, he was out for God. He understood the ways of God and he desired to walk in those ways. He had prophetic eyes to see what would happen If Israel persisted in ignoring God's ways, he clearly saw the injustices of his day and he was filled with the zeal and desire for God's righteousness and justice to roll like a river. Amos was a man who had traveled. He'd been around. He was wise to the world. He knew what was wrong. He understood the problem and he longed for God's people to repent and return to their covenant relationship. Now chapter 7, scholars will tell us, actually begins the final chapter of this book. And here I'd like to focus on four aspects of Amos' character. First, Amos expresses compassion in prayer. Second, Amos discovers wisdom in honesty. Third, Amos anticipates vindication in persecution. And finally, Amos finds strength in humility. And I'd like to look at those four themes tonight. And so first, Amos expresses compassion in prayer. In verses 1 through 6, God shows Amos two visions, okay? In the first vision, Amos sees swarms of locusts destroying the main harvest of the season. Now, locusts, locust swarms anyway, were always associated with plague. For instance, the the plague in Egypt, locusts was one of the 10 plagues. And so uh, when there were swarms of locusts eating up all of the harvest, people immediately thought back to um, God's work against Egypt, okay? So the first vision has to do with locusts. The second vision, he sees fire drying up the sea and devouring the land. And understand, these seem to be visions that were showing um, possibilities, 
potential forms of divine judgment. And, and notice that in both cases, because this is important, notice that in both cases, God is the active agent in what would happen. It is God who prepared the swarms of locusts, and it was God who called for this judgment by fire. Now, in response to this, and remember, Amos was from Judah, and there was no love lost between Judah and Israel in those days, the two tribes and the ten. But in response, Amos could have stood by and done nothing. Could have said, hey, yeah, look, I mean, you people deserve anything you get. I'm going to get out of here and head back south because I don't want to be anywhere around when God does what he's going to do here. He could have done nothing. But instead, he cries out to God, interceding for this wicked and rebellious people, and he prays, Lord, please, please do not let these things come to pass. Why did he do this? Well, it's because Amos knew the heart of God. Amos was experiencing what we experience in sanctification by the Holy Spirit, becoming more Christ-like. See, Amos was in tune with God's heart, and he was committed to communicating and living out God's heart in his ministry. And Amos knew that God loved his people, that God cared about his people. God always, throughout all of history, looked for reasons to turn aside from his judgment when his people were rebelling. And so Amos prays, he bears the load, which incidentally is what his name means. His deep compassion drove him to his knees in prayer, pleading with God, and he uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, that personal covenant name, and he uses that name with the knowledge that God is sovereign over all things, even with the knowledge that the punishment threatened was justified because evil and rebellion must be judged by a holy God. But nevertheless, Prompted by God, Amos prays, he came boldly into the presence of God, which we just sang in one of our hymns. He asked for pardon, and he asked for the removal of judgment. And what happens? Amazingly, God hears Amos' prayer and honors it. Verse 3, the Lord relented. He seems to change his mind. Verse 6, the Lord relented. This will not happen. The prophet Amos, uh, reflecting the compassion of God, stood in the gap for Israel. His prayer was heard, his prayer was answered, and judgment was averted. And herein lies one of the great mysteries of God. How can God be sovereign and at the same time be moved by our prayers? And the answer, of course, at least this is what I believe, is that God was ready for that prayer. God was ready for that prayer. God prompted that prayer, and God was prepared to answer that prayer in response. And it's another example of Amos here reflecting the character of God. He is tuned into the will of God. Amos is a man of compassion, praying to the God of compassion. And in this way, God chooses to accomplish his work in this world. Second theme, Amos discovers wisdom in honesty. Now, we're not talking here necessarily about honesty as truth-telling. 
Um, I'm more referring to being honest with the reality of a situation, okay? Facing up to it. In the third vision, God shows Amos a plumb line, a plumb line hanging next to a wall-built tree. Now, a plumb line is a length of string with a weight attached to the end. You don't see them used quite so much anymore now in this day and age of lasers, but it was a tool used to determine the uprightness of a structure. And God uses a plumb line here to uh, determine the uprightness of his people. This plumb line then represents the standard by which God's people would be judged. God had built this wall using his grace and his law as the foundation. But the divine plumb line revealed just how crooked God's people had become. And in receiving and contemplating this vision, Amos realized that enough was enough. The plumb line God revealed to him kind of symbolized the last straw. Israel had reached the point of no return and judgment would come. See, the unsettling truth, and it should be unsettling for us as well, is that God cannot and will not be abused forever. He will not and cannot be rejected and ignored forever. So notice... This time there is no prayer of intercession. I mean, it's not that Amos is forbidden to pray. It's that Amos, again, understands the heart of God and continues to align himself with the will of God. Amos has done his job, even though the result or the, the fruit of his labor is not what he had hoped for. Amos has done his job in preaching God's message to this uh, persistently unrepentant people and finding wisdom in honesty, uh, facing this situation without blinders, Amos understood that judgment had become necessary. It had become inevitable. Now, it was God's business alone. It was completely in God's hands. The time for intercession had passed, the consequences for unrepentance would have to be enforced. And this serves, as I already said, as a powerful reminder to us as well, that in the same way, Jesus Christ's offer of salvation is not indefinite. The door remains open for every single one of us. The door remains open, but the clock is ticking. If you've not accepted the offer of salvation, the gift of salvation found only in Christ. I, in the spirit of Amos, plead with you, do so while you still can. Third theme, Amos anticipates vindication in persecution. Now we get to this scene between the prophet Amos and the priest Amaziah, and I think this is somewhat fascinating. I think we should pay close attention to it as well. Now you have to understand that Amaziah was the priest at Bethel, and Bethel was the most sacred religious site in northern Israel. So Amos had the audacious courage to come to this place and preach judgment, undermining both Israel's high priest, highest priest, and also Israel's king. 
In response, Amaziah sent word to King Jeroboam and spoke against Amos. He twisted what Amos preached and prophesied using words like conspiracy and defeat and death. See, Amaziah, like most of Israel, was provoked by the message of Amos, challenged. It threatened the status quo. Nobody likes it when somebody challenges our status quo, right? Especially when the status quo is something that we're uh, enjoying in the present. Now, ironically, Amaziah's name means the Lord is strong. And yet, it's quite telling that the Lord is not mentioned once in Amaziah's words. In the estimation of the most prominent institutional religious figure in Israel, the prophetic message of Amos must at all costs be contained and eliminated. So Amaziah resorts to a strategy of personal attack, verses 12 and 13. Then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. And the accusations are crystal clear. Seer, charlatan, foreigner. Amos, uh, not God, becomes the focal point for all of Amaziah's anger and all of Amaziah's fear. And Amaziah reveals himself to be very single-minded himself in his desire and his goal. Uh, Get rid of Amos so that we can get on with life. And brothers and sisters, that too is a good reminder that the word of God proclaimed will always bring some measure of persecution wherever it is preached. Because the word of God is the plumb line that reveals the crookedness and condemns the sin of the world. But it is interesting in the case of 800 BC Israel that the persecution of Amos comes from within the family. These were all people who professed to be believers, right? And that too is more prevalent today in the church than we could hope. Which brings us to our last point. Amos finds strength in humility. Amos responds to Amaziah without anger, without a hint of pride or superiority. You know, the person I was thinking about um, was Tim Keller. Have you guys ever heard of Tim Keller? He's dead now, but he was uh, the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, has written a lot of books, has been in a lot of debates with atheists. I mean, like antagonistic atheists. And one of the things that I always loved about him, one of the things I was so impressed with is that he never got bent out of shape. He never got defensive. Even when people were just attacking him personally, he was so graceful. Man, if I could have a quarter of that grace, I would be so successful in ministry. Um, But Amos is like that too. Amos responds to Amaziah, these terrible, terrible accusations without anger, without a hint of pride or superiority. Amos the herdsman, the dresser of sycamore trees, Amos the the hardworking but undeniably ordinary responds with the perfect balance of courage and humility. Verse 15, Amos answered Amaziah, hey, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. 
But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. God took this hardworking but undeniably ordinary person and gave to him authority and insight and determination to speak out against the corrupt power brokers of his time, elites, priests, and even the king. And I would argue that humility and courage are absolutely necessary to preach this message just as humility and courage are absolutely necessary to preach the gospel today. Verse 16 and 17, now then hear the word of the Lord, you say, you say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the word of the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native lands. With courage and humility, Amos preaches this uncomfortable truth from God. With courage and humility, Amos finds the strength to honor God's calling upon his life. Now, what about us? Do we desire to be people of God, honoring our calling wherever we are? If so, we do well to learn from this ordinary man, Amos. We too must stand in the counsel of God, discerning God's word. We too must perceive the times that we live in, discerning the world. We too need to be right with God even as we call others to return to God. So I leave you this evening with these questions to ponder. And I pray that God will shape you through your engagement with them. First, are you a believer who expresses compassion in prayer? See, our prayers matter to God. He puts prayers on our hearts and he takes them seriously. People need intercession. Situations need intercessions. If we do not pray, who will? Secondly, are you a believer who discovers wisdom in honesty? As we pray regularly for people to come to Christ, we do so with urgency because we know that final judgment is real and it is certain. We are neither blind optimists on one hand or fatalists on the other. Discovering wisdom and honesty requires holding to and proclaiming the true gospel, the gospel that includes both justice and salvation, the gospel that includes both judgment and grace, so that we can face up to the reality of our own sin and the sin of others, which makes the grace of God offered in Jesus Christ so much more valuable. Third, are you a believer who anticipates vindication in persecution? If we speak about and live out the truths of the gospel, we will be targets. There will be consequences. People do not always receive joyfully uncomfortable truths. Being true to the gospel will necessarily upset the status quo in the lives of people we loved. And so we must be prepared to be misrepresented, marginalized, mocked, but also confident that God's message and our labor in spreading God's message will be vindicated. And finally, are you a believer who finds strength in humility? 
In humility, we work diligently as living testimonies of God's grace through, through Christ. In humility, we trust that God can and will use us and that there is nothing to fear. Because the fact is, between Amos and us is one that we cannot ignore. In him, even God's plumb line can be faced with the utmost absolute confidence. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, by his words and by his life, answered with an unqualified yes to all of the questions that we ask ourselves tonight. He was compassionate in prayer, showed wisdom in honesty, he was courageous through persecution, humble and strong. Brothers and sisters, all of these are gifts from the God who is the source of all good things. And in Christ, this is who we have called to be. And this, by the power of the Spirit, is who we have been empowered and enabled to be. And brothers and sisters, the world waits for us to rise up and claim this identity. Amen. Let's pray.